can't get enough of the podcast? Lucky for you, our video IQ platform on adorebeauty.com.au houses thousands of articles on skincare, makeup, hair care, and more. Plus, you can find a heap of video tutorials, ingredient spotlights, and brand breakdowns on our YouTube channel. Just click on Beauty IQ in the menu bar of the website or app or search Adore Beauty on YouTube for more beauty content. Before we begin today's episode of Beauty IQ Uncensored, we acknowledge First Nations people as the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia. We recognise and pay our respects to elders past, present and future whose lands were never ceded. Welcome everybody to Beauty IQ the podcast. I'm your host, Joanna Fleming. And I am your co-host, Hannah First. So did you know that we start every episode we start with so? (laughs) Okay, so both of us do it. Sorry to everyone that has to listen to that. So our producer, Kiara, had asked me, like, you know, do you have any ideas for cringy combos? And I had suggested infections because I had just watched The Last of Us, as we do talk about in this episode. And I was really interested in infections. And I think Joe was a bit like, well, this is very (laughs) off topic, as you've said. But I thought it was related in some ways. We talked about thrush. We talked about nails. But this was genuinely because I was interested because my boyfriend Mm. got sick. He just moved to Melbourne. He's quite stoic. So you can't really tell. Like he Mm. doesn't go on and on and on about it. He was really going on and on and on about it. Like (laughs) seriously. Like, would not stop going on about it. And you had zero sympathy, obviously. (laughs) No, I did have sympathy. But I just was like, it's going to pass. It's okay. You got a sore throat. To be fair, his fever was 39 degrees. Oh. He was fully sweating, soaking like yeah. the sheet. He, had, he put a towel down. But I thought in my head, I don't know much about infections. And, and Dr. Hannah's like, it's going to pass. It's okay. <laughs> it's going to pass. Like, it'll get better. Your body's fighting the infection and you're going to get better. Anyway, he's like, Hannah, I have to go to the doctor. And I was like, oh, okay. So I drove him to the doctor. <laughs> And then he said, the doctor looked at his throat and said, have you been sleeping? (laughs) He's like, this is really bad. Like he had a really bad case of tonsillitis. Okay. Which needs antibiotics. And then he got antibiotics and it cleared it up like immediately. He literally Mm. felt better within like a day. So I felt bad. And that's where the topic of this conversation has come from. Okay. I felt terrible, but I got that from Linda, my mum. Yeah. She doesn't have any sympathy for anyone that's sick. My mum is absolutely the same. I had antibiotics recently, and as you know, I have a bit of a phobia about swallowing tablets. And so anytime I have to go on antibiotics, it is a literal journey. Like I would rather, let's normalise intravenous medication. (laughs) I would rather a needle. I was going to say, you could have flown to Cambodia. They'll do it like they did for me. Yes. So one time I had the penicillin jabbed in my bum. Best thing ever. Uh, It was literally, I felt 100% 12 hours later. So good. So interesting that you would choose an injection over a tablet. Like that's crazy to me. I hate injections. I would 100% choose a tablet. I think I do need to, I've said it before, I I need to be hypnotized because something's seriously wrong. If I'm not in the right mindset to try and swallow a tablet, I will just not do it. I will have a meltdown about it. And I'm not really an overly dramatic person, I wouldn't say. But with tablets, oh, my God, like I can't deal with them. You go like, yeah. Yeah. Yes, but my brain won't let me swallow them. I'm trying. And then I get so frustrated because my brain is like, no, no, 
Don't do it. <laughs> Does it ever get caught in your throat? Yes. Because you're not committing to the swallow. I tried to take one in the car the other day and oh, almost God. threw it up in my boyfriend's car. So I am all on board with someone injecting me with antibiotics. I would rather that. But I don't think that's really a you know mainstream option these days. It's just no. you take them for five days and that's it. But I will put my hand up for an injection anytime. Maybe we should go and get me hypnotized as part of this podcast. So I don't have to pay for it. That would be great. Yeah. I would love to know what happens in because I'd like to be hypnotized for my sleep problems. Yes. We should do that. Yeah, Let's we, do it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. What's on today's episode, apart from infections? <laughs> for our cringy, we're talking about infections. It was so interesting. I loved it. Then Joe is going to tell us all about how to get the most out of your candles and, of course, the products we didn't know we needed. So, Hannah, I started watching Last of Us. Is it Last of Us? Is it what it's called? The Last of Us, yes. The Last of Us. So I started watching that. I think I got maybe two or three episodes in and I just, I'm not a zombie person. Everyone was talking about it on TikTok. Oh, I know. I heard everyone was like, yes, you- it's so good. The ending's so sad. And I was just like, I'm sorry. I can't do any more of this. Did you watch episode three though with Bill and Bob? I think their names were, I might've got that wrong. I don't think so. I've got a bad memory. This was a few weeks ago. You definitely, because I sobbed the whole way through. Okay, maybe I watched episode one and two and didn't quite get to three. You've missed the best episode of TV history, <laughs> Joe. Jeez. Okay, that's okay. surely a bit much. No, it is. People have been saying it's like one of the best episodes of television. Okay, or well, maybe I'll watch that on the weekend. But good. On that note, there's a lot in that series about, I guess, infections. It's giving COVID, but on steroids. So, like, when our whole world changed because of COVID, this is kind of the same, but because of a fungus infecting people and making them zombies. But do you know that fungus? I've watched a, maybe it was a David Attenborough. I don't know what it was, but I watched it on YouTube. That actually does do that to ants. Interesting. It takes over their brains. Do you know much about that, Lucinda? Is that out of your medical realm of education? (laughs) Hello, everyone. (laughs) I'm just, like, listening in on this conversation, thinking, where is this going? (laughs) Exactly. And now I'm like, oh, my days. These poor ants that have like had their minds taken over. Look, I guess the thing is with infections in general, like if it's going to give you some sort of like brain infection, it can sort of alter brain function there for sure. What are these ants doing? So what happens is the cordyceps, I think they're called. This is where the concept I think of the show came from is the cordyceps. It's like a mushroom. Another reason to hate mushrooms, guys. So it starts growing in their brains, I think, and it kind of takes over and they start to act drunk. So basically the show The Last of Us is if that fungus took over human brains, which I don't think it could, they become zombies and they've got mushroom heads. Oh, my days. That's fascinating. (laughs) So where I was going with this intro (laughs) was that we're going to talk about infections today and different kinds of infections. So I want to ask you, Dr. Lucinda, what are the different types or categories of infections that can affect the human body, not ant bodies? That's totally different. Human bodies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's quite a few different um, infections that can affect bodies, unfortunately. But the most common types are things like bacterial, viral, fungal, parasitic, and then prion diseases. 
So you probably heard of most of them, like with the parasitic ones, those are the ones which are just fancy name for like the worms, the malaria, you know, the lice, that type of thing. And then prion diseases are actually pretty rare. They're basically like these abnormal proteins that can go into your body and they basically sort of mainly affect the brain uh, and because your body is unable to process these proteins and get rid of them. So they just build up and make you really sick. And that's like mad cow disease, like Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, something like that. So that's super rare stuff. But you've probably heard of the rest of them, obviously. Bacterial infections like, you know, strep throat, UTIs, chlamydia, gonorrhea, STIs, and E. coli, and then viral infections, which are like obviously mm-hmm. the big C word. And then influenza, HPV, the common cold, that kind of stuff. And then the fungal infections, which are like, you know, athlete's foot, that fungal nail stuff, thrush, mm-hmm. those type of things. So. I requested we do this episode because I get like very confused about infections. So if we like hone in a bit on the bacterial infections versus viral infections, because I feel like you get a cold or you get like you get something like a sore throat or your tonsils. Someone says something like, oh, well, if it's viral, you do this. If it's bacterial, (laughs) you do this. And it's like, I don't know what that means. So what's the difference? Well, if we just start off with the structures of them, like bacteria are bigger than viruses in structure, generally speaking, anyways. And they basically are single-celled organism. They've got their instructions written on a piece of DNA. They're actually amongst the earliest known life forms on Earth. And they are absolutely everywhere like from soil to under the sea and like to even radioactive waste yet alone like within our bodies and on our skin the majority of bacteria are actually pretty harmless and a lot of them are actually pretty helpful as well and interestingly enough there's actually more bacteria in your body than there are cells than your own body cells really yeah we are full of it (laughs) completely (laughs) full of it there's some good bacteria definitely yeah and that's where things like you know diet and lifestyle actually aid with the help of like keeping good sort of levels of bacteria in harmony you know and then lifestyle can also like create a disharmony in those bacteria where some of them can overgrow and then potentially cause symptoms like irritable bowel syndrome for example and actually i don't know if you know this but like bacteria is so important for creating about 70 to 80 percent of the serotonin in our gut which is absolutely fascinating so keeping our bacteria happy in their home is is very very important and then with viral infections what's interesting is that like they're actually the smallest known infectious agent ever they're much much smaller than your cells and they're not actually considered a living thing because they can't reproduce or carry out any metabolic functions on their own they need a host to replicate and to like basically become alive so those are like the major differences between the two of them they kind of spread the same kind of ways essentially so you know through respiratory droplets like coughing sneezing sharing bodily fluids through like intercourse if you happen to be around someone that's vomiting unfortunately through direct contact like cold sores or infected wounds so yeah they kind of transmit in similar ways in that regards Now, the biggie when it comes to the symptoms. Now, it can actually be tricky for doctors sometimes to to diagnose between the two of them. But say, for example, like you've got a common cold versus a low respiratory tract infection, like a pneumonia. So when someone comes in with a cold versus pneumonia, you're thinking, okay, how many different types of symptoms have they got going on? If it's a common cold, they've normally got like everything up here in, in the facial area. They've got congestion. They might have like teary red eyes. They'll have like sneezing and 
clear liquid coming from their nose, a bit of a sore throat, usually don't necessarily have a fever, but they might, uh, but might be very, very mild and just generally feeling really meh and malaise. Whereas with a pneumonia, they tend to have more sort of, they can start off with viral and it then can convert into bacterial. That's all very, very possible. But basically with pneumonia, you've got mainly respiratory, low respiratory symptoms. So you've got a hacking cough with terrible looking phlegm going on, like yellow green phlegm. You can usually feel kind of crackling in your chest as well. And you generally tend to have like a fever. So that's why, for example, you know, a doctor will look at you and they'll examine, have a listen to your lungs. They'll take your temperature. They'll have a look in your throat. And like if it's like a sore throat kind of predominant thing, then to tell the difference between the two, they're trying to look for something called like the center criteria, which is something that's very helpful that's for, for doctors. But it's like when they're looking for pus on the tonsils, if, if it's on one side rather than both sides, if they've got a fever, if they've got no cough, because no cough is more likely to be bacterial, if they've got swollen lymph glands in the neck, there's so many different things for us to look at. And sometimes when it is a little bit tricky to identify between the two and the patient is fairly well, that's when we can sort of hold off on antibiotics for a time being or sometimes give a delayed script if things get worse and then send off some investigations like be it swabs or urine or stool or like a sputum sample or blood tests, all just depending obviously on, on what they've come in with. Sometimes I forget this is a beauty podcast. Because <laughs> I'm sitting here going, yeah, infections. Yeah, wow. And then I realised this is actually, this started off as a beauty podcast. <laughs> I don't know what it is now. It's a general knowledge podcast as well. But we always had a cringy combo, Joe. Always. Yeah, it's a variety podcast. Totally. <laughs> it's amazing. So on the different types of infections, let's get to fungal. So you've explained kind of what the typical symptoms of bacterial and viral would be how does fungal sit outside of those I don't know how many people have probably experienced fungal infection out there but they're really common especially like athlete's foot is probably the most common mm. one where you've got that like soreness in between your toes it looks a little bit pale and patchy might smell a little bit funky as well yeah my boyfriend gets that I give him my thrush medication for it oh, is that you? okay yeah, yeah why not <laughs> the thing is do you know what I find personally I've been doing this for, for many years now using tea tree oil in between my toes like ah. whenever I notice that slight soreness feeling I'm just like let's get a couple of drops in there and genuinely I found that really really works for me personally Mm. but yeah thrush medication is fine and then like you can get those powders as well for athletes foot isn't it too yeah and thrush would be a common fungal infection absolutely very common how does the fungus get in there that's what I want to know well fungus also kind of lives on our body as well okay and so when like you know bacteria or viruses or fungal that can be a little bit imbalanced at times and that can you know be associated with if it's super sweaty down there and if like we're having potentially as well like lots of glucose in our diet and stress as well and that's usually sort of associated with symptoms like itching burning redness swelling and like thick white discharge rather than sort of like other color types of discharge or like super watery gray discharge nail infections so you've got like that thickening discoloration of the nails that can be really crumbly it can sometimes be really difficult to treat like you can treat it with some topical treatments that you can get over the counter sometimes you can use oral medication also there's oral infection as well so you can get oral thrush and you know it's not super common 
common, but you can see it usually like in babies and then sometimes in adults, especially when you're super, super run down. And then very, very rarely you can get infections in the bloodstream. And again, normally with that, these are people who have very poor immune systems. Um, you know, they're on like chemotherapy or something is going on there. And that's where you can get like sepsis. I got this like infected cut in Thailand and I swear somehow through Googling, I ended up on sepsis. And like, do you know what I mean? Like Google takes you directly to when you're Dr. Googling, mm-hmm. takes you directly to like the worst case scenario. And because you're Hannah first, you would have got <laughs> that makes so much sense. I've got sepsis. <laughs> was it sepsis? No, I thought it was fasciitis. Yeah, flesh-eating bacteria. Yeah, that's what I thought. Of. Yeah, those are actually oh, crazy and they are so <laughs> rapid as well. Trust me, I know. I watched it on Dave's oh Grey's God. Anatomy. Crazy. <laughs> that's actually, it's quite rare though <laughs> to see uh, flesh-eating bacteria. Sorry, if you go to your GP, what kind of treatments would you be getting for each of these infections? Okay, so if we start with bacterial infections, basically antibiotics really, isn't it? And so, you know, whether these things are oral or, you know, a cream or I hope we don't have to give you an IV injection or like a quick intramuscular injection, but those things are all kind of possible. And then with viral, viruses, they do not respond to antibiotics. And that's why you'll get GPs that are like, I'm really certain this is viral. If I give you antibiotics, it's not going to be a great idea for now. Like things might change. And so if things get worse, please come back and see me uh, because that's not impossible but like if we give antibiotics for everyone including viral infections even if the patient's really anxious about it what we're actually doing is a bit of a disservice to the patients and also I know this sounds really ambiguous but to the world itself because if we're giving antibiotics to a virus what happens is that first of all we're actually harming good bacteria as well as bad bacteria in the body whenever we're doing this Mm. so whenever I give antibiotics I always suggest and everyone's different but I always suggest having probiotics for a month afterwards as well just to help build up those happy bacteria so I normally say like drink like 100 mils of kefir which is like this milky fermented drink which is like full of really good stuff you know try and have a bit of kimchi or like sauerkraut or something daily or you can also get these probiotic capsules as well so I don't tend to I recommend the capsules whilst you're on the antibiotics but then afterwards it's kind of good like in a health plus I'm not sponsored by them but they have a good general <laughs> probiotic capsule that you can take so I'd recommend potentially using that I take the Blackmore's women's one. Oh yeah cool if anyone's interested <laughs> nice and then yeah going back to the viruses so not only if we're giving antibiotics for a viral infections rather than bacterial infection we're getting rid of the good bacteria and well, not all of it but getting rid of the good bacteria and that can take actually like eight to 18 months to even build back up in your body naturally okay so we're really trying to like avoid that but then it also can lead to bacterial resistance so you've probably heard of this it's probably why that fungal infection went wild Mm. in that movie or that tv series of yours because it didn't respond Uh, to any of the antifungals anymore because we're overusing them you probably heard of mrsa yeah so that's actually resistant to major antibiotics that we've got so it can be a lot trickier to treat so that's sort of the antibiotic chat essentially in that way so we really do want to treat what we're seeing here so with viruses it is a total tlc situation you know rest get some good soup or you know fluid situation going take some paracetamol if you're feeling a bit feverish or achy but the thing is with fevers it's a bit controversial with this 
Now, everyone probably thinks that they need to treat a fever, you know, no matter what it is. But actually, the fever is a part of the body's innate immune system in order to try and help you get rid of that infection yourself as well. Say, for example, you know, a fever up to 38, I'm relatively comfortable with, we're saying, you know, see if you can hold off on the paracetamol unless you're feeling really poorly and unwell with it, you know, allow your body to try and help your your body out by killing the virus or bacteria with what defenses it's got. Now, there are some antiviral medications out there. So you probably know, like for cold sores, you know, or if you've got really bad cold sore spreading virus, there are some antivirals for that. So we normally start like with an antiviral cream, but if someone's got a really severe episode or if they've got prolonged episode, you can use oral medications for that basically and a specific antiviral. But generally speaking, there aren't many oral antiviral medications out there. Like we haven't got ones for colds. We've got some for like influenza, but only if you meet certain medical criteria. And that's just because of the efficacy. So it's different for someone who's more of a well person versus someone who's got a really poor immune system because of their chronic diseases, etc. But yeah, otherwise, like, you know, other antivirals, which we'll probably like maybe be aware of for things like for like HIV and, and things like that. There are some patients who qualify for antivirals for COVID, for example, as well. But again, it's only because some people's immune system is not going to be as good as others, which is why those kind of antivirals will be recommended for those patients specifically. Um, because they wouldn't necessarily help a very well individual who's able to fight viruses and like general colds and things themselves. And then fungal infections, we use antifungals for that. I've got to mention as well with this, the skin, like you get all that teenier kind of infections in it, those patchy sort of red bits on your skin as well. They normally have like a very well demarcated mm. red border with a paler inside that's sort of usually like a fungal um, or if you've been on holiday somewhere and you start off with something called a, a herald patch, which is like just one of those patches maybe like on your chest or your back and then it starts going everywhere else within the next two weeks. But that's just a sideline. So yeah, that could be also like creams mm. or shower gels or um, oral medications as well, just depending on severity. Parasitic infections, so all that worm stuff, it's going to be antiparasitic medication again so this is quite a similar you know it's a bit of a pattern to this so we have got things that basically yeah we can treat for each thing but then lastly with the prion diseases the really really rare one there's no actual cure for those things unfortunately again it's a supportive treatment similar to like a viral infection basically so at what stage should you see a GP if you think you have some kind of infection? Mm, so I think, again, it depends on severity. So if you've just got some mild symptoms, I think most people have had colds and stuff like that out there. If it's just mild symptoms and like normally it gets worse in the first sort of two to three days and then it sort of starts getting a little bit better, then, you know, leave it as it is. But if it's sort of, you know, getting worse and worse and worse and you're like, gosh, I feel awful. And actually, you know, from the get go, if you're feeling really, really dreadful, then yeah, absolutely come in see us we'd rather be like you're fine this is a viral rather than like that like you've come in a bit late for this we really wish you came to see us earlier i can understand from a patient point of view it's really hard to know when to come in Mm. I guess everyone kind of knows their own bodies best, like more than anyone else. So, you know, like if you're feeling more mild symptoms and you're like, oh, let me just wait this out, maybe take some cold flu. But if you're starting to feel like, shoot, I really don't feel good. And that's your gut instinct. Go with your gut and go and see the doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Good advice. Yeah, that's what I would probably say. Or if something's persistent. Definitely. Please go and see mm-hmm. us. 
Great. Well, another amazing information and advice from you, Dr. Lucinda. Thank you so much for talking to us about infections. Pleasure. Hannah, I'm going to have to watch episode three of The Last of Us (laughs) on the weekend and I'll let you know my thoughts. It's no secret, Hannah, that we are candle sluts. Oh, you literally have no idea. Like I... I do though. (laughs) (laughs) I am such a whore for candles. I love them. (laughs) So am I. You know what I've been seeing on TikTok lately though is people with like black soot up their nose from candles. I don't know how I ended up on this side of TikTok. Yeah, so people that have lit candles in their bedrooms and have then gone to sleep, (gasps) woken up, and then they've gone to the bathroom and there's a big black ring of like soot around their nostril. Okay. So I've been kind of delving into this a little bit. I've been thinking a lot about candles. I spoke to a dermatologist recently around having candles in like your bedroom or like an enclosed space. Anyway, so we're going to get to that. But I want to talk about getting the most out of your candles because they are not cheap. The ones that we personally purchase are on the bougie end. Like we are not buying the $5 option from Kmart, which is totally fine, but we are buying the Citrudon, the (laughs) Mumira. I was in Kmart the other day and I like candles so much that I almost bought like a whole heap. I don't know why. (laughs) I didn't end up buying them, but I do have a hack for Citrudon. Do you know my hack? No. Citrudon make the best smelling candles like Mm. the best they're so expensive like 125 dollars yeah okay so you buy the wax melts and listen i bought an oil burner just for wax melts at kmart and then i do the wax melt firstly it lasts ages it's a lot cheaper like the wax melts you get four wax melts and Mm -hmm. that's my little trick for getting citrudon smell at a less expensive price point Okay, that's a really good tip, actually. Yeah. You know, another thing around making it last longer. So, when I was doing all of my like candle research, I found someone that had given a tip of firstly, you want to keep your lid on just to keep dust out because Ah. dust, like it can make them a little bit more flammable. So, you don't want to have a candle full of dust, which is hard if they don't come with a lid. So, if they don't come with a lid, Once the wax is set, you can actually store them upside down. No. Wow. Yeah, and it stops them from evaporating. Ah. So your candles can lose, like, the moisture out of them and that can take some of the fragrance with it, but it can also just, like, deplete the candle a little bit. So you can store them upside down and it will leave, like, a stronger scent. And when you turn them back up, Mm -hmm. they're going to, like, fill the room with fragrance again without even being lit. Good tip. So that's a good little tip, I thought. Some other tips for you is trimming the wick. So I'm sure you've probably got a wick trimmer at home. I do. I have a Circa one that I use every single time. And I remember I used to yell at Hattie because she would light the candles in the house without (laughs) trimming the wicks. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't do that. It gets like a little bit too smoky when you do that. Yes, it does. So that's why you need to trim them because you'll get more Mm. soot around the edge of your candle and they won't burn as evenly if you're not trimming the wick. So the ideal length for your wick is about Mm. a centimetre. So you want to trim that frayed, you know, sparky bit off the end and just have like a fresh bit of wick to light. So that is ideal for even burning and not getting soot everywhere and getting less smoke in the air. 
you want to ensure your wick is central to the candle and not kind of like leaning to one side. So that's the best way to not get. Joe's doing a little dance right now. Yeah, I'm doing a little dance to show you. She's pretending she's a wick and she's going from side <laughs> to side. <laughs> so you want to make sure that that's in the center because, yeah, it's going to heat up the glass. If it's too far to one side of the vessel, it's going to heat up the glass. It can explode as well, the glass, which I've actually had happen to me. Oh. So. This leads me to another point, which is don't use the lid to extinguish your candle. Always use a candle snuffer or blow it out because I used a lid once on a, I think it was a glasshouse candle actually. Yeah. Used a lid and I sealed it on. You know how they've got kind of a seal in them? They're not just one that you pop on the top. It's actually got a seal. So I did that and I placed it on properly and then I went to open it up, I think, after a couple of minutes like I was like oh it's it's gone now maybe 10 minutes later but the glass was still hot and it exploded in my hand because I'd created this vacuum seal inside the candle so that is a big no-no don't do that it's better to use a candle snuffer which you can buy or you can blow it out yourself and just deal with the smoke in the room or just blow it out outside and then bring it back in. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm. What is a candle snuffer? Oh, it's like a little, it looks like a tiny little spoon and you just put it ah. over the top and it just, boop, just gets rid of it. Boop. Yeah. Okay. I feel you can just use your mouth to blow it out. You can. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But if you're going to have a wick trimmer, why not just buy a candle snuffer? That's very true. <laughs> you want to burn your candles in a well-ventilated room. So, try a bigger space in your house as opposed to a bedroom but that comes with a caveat avoid drafts vents and air currents because that will help prevent rapid or uneven burning and it also prevents that like soot forming on the outside because it will be swaying the flame too much the other thing is burning time and this i don't think gets spoken about enough with candles but you really do have to burn them for a certain amount of time to get the most out of them or to burn them evenly so a standard size candle which is i think about 380 grams or 360 grams you shouldn't be burning that for less than an hour or more than four hours at a time. Okay. So if you're going to light a candle, and I always have this in mind, if I'm like, oh, I just want to pop a candle on just while I'm doing something and then I'm going to go out and I've got to blow it out, I just won't light it because I know I'm not going to be able to have it lit for an hour. And if you are going to light it, leave it for at least a couple of hours at a time, but no more than four hours. It's not ideal for the heat of the candle or the vessel to be heated up for that long and just make sure also that you are burning it on like a heat-proof surface. Like, I don't know, don't be burning candles around curtains. Yep. Don't recommend. <laughs> My boyfriend is a fireman, so he would also say the same thing. And he's very strict around candle use in the house, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> we should have got him to come on. Do you know what? Can he come on and do a guest about hair straighteners? Like I'd love to know how yeah. many places he – Remember that episode of okay. Friends? Yeah, the hair curler. Yes, I can ask him if he'd be willing. <laughs> <laughs> to talk about beauty fire hazards because yes. there's a lot. All right. I'll yep. see if he's free. He's not home today, so okay. yeah, can't have him just step in. <laughs> so now to multiple wicks. So some of our candles that we've had, Hannah, have like three wicks in them because they're huge big boys. Yeah. So if your candle has multiple wicks, you need to light them all at the same time. All of them. Otherwise, you're going to get tunneling. It's going to be all uneven. It's going to be all over the shop and you're not going to get the most out of it. So make sure it's all even. If the glass does become blackened with soot while you're burning it, it does happen to candles. It's just inevitable. Make sure the candle is out 
make sure the wax is set and then you can just wipe it out with a dry paper towel or you can just put a little bit of warm water on it and just wipe and not get that in the wax but just wipe the inside Mm -hmm. and don't light the candle while you're doing that obviously (laughs) just want to be sure we're all on the same page about fire safety as i said before with the candles having lids for dust just keep the lid on where you can if it does get dusty though you can just wipe the surface down with paper towel again And that was pretty much everything I could think of with candles. Does anything else stand out to you that we do for candle hygiene? I feel like that covered everything. Actually, that was really good. Thank you. You're really good at your job, Jo. Yeah, thanks. Sometimes I forget. (laughs) Yeah, very thorough, very informative, educational, and Mm. also a little bit entertaining. Yeah, okay. Great. Thanks for the feedback. I appreciate it. (laughs) Live time. You're getting live feedback on the podcast. Product we didn't know we needed. What's yours? I have mine on today. Oh, another nail polish. Another nail polish. Nice. I like to do my nails myself because every time I have shellac or SNS or I actually haven't tried Builder in a Bottle, but I do want to try that. But every time I have it, my nails are really weak afterwards and mm-hmm. I feel it takes some ages to come back. And my nails are very strong naturally. After so, SNS or shellac. Yeah, any yeah. kind of nail service. Yeah. They're just real brittle. And I don't like that. It looks like, can you see the top? Yeah. yeah. They look terrible. In this climate, I can't afford to be going to have my nails done every Agreed. three weeks. Yeah. And paying the exorbitant amount of money that it costs these days to get your nails done. It does. When I can just do it myself at home. So I've got all the tools. But I, could, just- I almost fell off my chair the other day my nails i got the Hailey bieber ones yeah 70 dollars <gasps> i didn't know i just said i want what she's having the girl next to me yeah 70 dollars later yeah that's crazy. that was a lot I, I feel like a lot of people are paying upwards of 100 i'm not even maybe it was 100 yeah 70, it was a lot if you're yeah. getting nail art you're paying upwards of 100 yeah so you really have got to factor that into yeah, your budget. budget but i always do my own nails i always go and get my toes done with shellac but I do my own nails. This shade is Essie Sugar Daddy. Mm -hmm. It is a sheer pink. And I just feel like, I don't know, it's just a really nice shade. It doesn't Mm. fully give like an opaque colour to your nails, but it just makes them look fresh, makes them look done. And it's a nice bridal shade as well. It looks really nice. Or a bride. Highly recommend this shade. Or just if you aren't really allowed to wear nail polish at work or, like, you can't get away with bold colours. What kind of workplace is this? Are you um, not allowed to wear work? Yeah, like nurses. Oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, quite a few workplaces don't allow, like, bright nail colours. Yeah, because you've got a uniform. Same for schoolgirls as well. I know, I'm so mean. That was silly. Silly. Yeah. What about them telling me to take my nose ring out all the time? That really upset me. Did I tell you how I got sent home for having a dress that was too short? Oh, my gosh. In year 12. It was the end of year 12. and What are they expecting that you leave school and you're going to, like, what? Like, why? It's so weird. School doesn't represent real life. Yeah. At all. It really doesn't. But also my dress wasn't even that short. And I was like, I've had it since year seven. I don't know what you expect from me. (laughs) meant to do in Really bizarre. Yeah, yep. my mum was not happy about that one. But that is my product I didn't know we needed. What's yours? Nice. Mine is this KMS Tame Frizz Smoothing Lotion. Ooh. So I've been wanting to try it. It's been sitting on my shelf and I don't know. I just always go back to the stuff that I like yeah. that works because I'm always like, oh, I tried a product. You gave it to me. It was a hair yeah. product. Anyway, I can't remember. It was a some sort of leave-in treatment. Oh. And my hair was like wet. <laughs> oh. I woke up. I don't know if I put too much on. It was just like kind of felt 
or I put too much conditioner. I don't know. It just was quite wet. So sometimes I'm like, oh, I can't be bothered trying something because yeah, I made my hair to look nice. I yeah. can't be with it. Because hair, if it's not quite right, it can be heavy. It, yeah. it doesn't always look good. But this was really good. It's an anti-frizz styling cream for coarse frizzy hair. Mm-hmm. It also has a heat protectant in there. It is lightweight. Agree, definitely. And you can also use it before blow drying. It definitely helped with the frizz. Mm -hmm. Like I put it in and I think I must have let my hair air dry. Definitely noticeable, less frizzy. And I also like this heat protector Mm -hmm. in there because I always heat start my hair and it's nice to have an all-in-one. And I also thought this was... Oh, I don't know. $37 a lot for a 150ml? No. I don't think so. I think that's pretty no. good. Yeah. KMS, I haven't really used a lot of their products. Have you? No, I haven't. But I did give a KMS shampoo and conditioner to Hattie before oh. we started stocking them and she loved it. Loved. Yeah, I think it's actually a really popular brand, like really well-loved brand. It's in the mid-range, it looks like, yeah. $35 range. So I thought this was really good for frizzy hair. And highly recommend it. And there were two reviews on the website that I also read that said the best for frizzy hair. I have horribly frizzy hair. This is the only product that I've been able to tame my frizz with and makes my hair smoother and more manageable. Agree. Mm. Oh, yeah. And the ingredients. (laughs) I never know with hair ingredients. Like it's hard to know. Like the ingredients are so different to skincare. Yeah. But it's got some polymer to add control and work against flyaways. Okay. So. Great. That's mine. Hannah, there's something you do that I think contributes to you not being a morning person. Not going to bed early enough. <laughs> that but and the fact that you have insomnia, but there's another thing as okay. well. So I read an article recently mm-hmm. and I don't know if anyone else follows Dr. Andrew Huberman, oh, neuroscientist. I saw I, someone on Instagram say horny for Huberman. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you've spoken about him before. Yeah. Have you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, So Hotty. Is he? <laughs> yes. Oh, let me have a look. Hang on a second. Yes. Hottest scientist on Apple Podcasts. Hang on. I'm going to try and find him. One second. He's got a What's great voice. Huberman lab, probably. Okay. Huberman. Oh, not what I expected. <laughs> or you, have you heard his voice? Definitely not what I expected. Have you been living in the world that you've not seen Andrew Huberman? I probably have, but I just haven't really paid attention. He's beautiful. I feel like I've heard Luke Cook talk about him. Yeah, probably. Yeah, okay. He's yeah. kind of, I guess he's attractive, yeah. Wow, high standards. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult to please. Sorry. He's like a tenured professor at Stanford yeah. with the number one podcast like in the world. Yeah. And he's handsome. And he's got a nice voice he kind and of he's looks, super smart. I can understand why you like him because he kind of looks like your boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> he looks nothing like my boyfriend except for the beard. Sure. So anyway, he has shared that apparently it's not ideal to have caffeine first thing in the morning. And I know that's the first thing you want to do as soon as you get up. Is if go- my boyfriend doesn't have time to go get coffee for me in the morning, grump. I'm grumpy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. he's in the doghouse. <laughs> no, but um, I do text him no coffee question mark. <laughs> it's become a running joke. It's a joke. So apparently you should wait until 90 minutes after you wake up before you have caffeine. Never going to happen. you less tired. Okay. I'm the same with tea. I want to have my tea as soon as I get up. Mm-hmm. I always eat my breakfast straight away. Yep. Because I'm hungry when I wake up. I don't know a lot of people. So I'm never like not going to be able to have a coffee. Uh, 90 mm. minutes of no coffee would be horrendous. Yeah. So 
They wrote, the reason I delay caffeine is that one of the factors that induces a sense of sleepiness is the buildup of adenosine. I don't Mm. know if that's how you say it in our system. The buildup of adenosine accumulates the longer we're awake. So early morning, your adenosine levels are likely to be very low. However, caffeine is an adenosine blocker. (laughs) Imagine if she's saying this wrong the whole time. Is a blocker actually a competitive antagonist, meaning it binds to the same receptors that adenosine does. Okay. That's why you feel more alert after your coffee because the caffeine is essentially blocking that from adhering to its normal receptors. By delaying coffee after waking, Dr. Huberman says he wards off a late afternoon or even early afternoon crash after the caffeine wears off and the delay allows for cortisol to follow its regular pattern. Okay. So apparently that's why, but I don't think either of us are going to follow that advice, are we? No, no, absolutely not. All right, so that could was wait. A waste I could wait ten minutes, maybe <laughs> ten minutes. Yeah, half an hour <laughs> yeah. max. Uh, no, nah. yeah, yeah. I think I can go half an hour, but after that, I start to get a withdrawal headaches. I was in. This is how fussy I am. I was in Dalesford the weekend. It was, it's been Easter weekend, so nothing was open for coffee close by. It was yeah. opening at eight thirty. Yeah, and it was eight, and I couldn't wait thirty minutes. I had to drive. 20 minutes to get coffee from somewhere else. Wow. Even though by the time I got back, yeah. the other place was open. Wow. There's something about I have to go and get it. Okay. Yeah. You just couldn't. Everyone was you like, just, sit there. just have a coffee from the coffee machine. I was like, absolutely not. Oh. <laughs> my, it's my like last joy in life. My boyfriend's just bought a coffee machine. So I now have a coffee machine in the house. Oh. And he's thinking about pod coffee machine no proper coffee machine and he's very good at making them because he's used to doing them with a proper coffee machine at work i'm thinking i might try a coffee again and maybe i can document the process of how many times i nearly myself day and we can put it on the podcast love let's do that okay okay report back yeah i will thanks everyone for joining us today Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. It helps other people to discover us. And also, we really want to know what you thought about this podcast. So if you can leave us a review, that would be much appreciated. Bye.